probably 40 overnight. That's pretty hot. Is that when you had that mullet? No. Welcome to Game of Notes, a weekly podcast on the cosmos from independent validator teams. Hello, and we're, you're listening to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the Cosmos from uh, independent validator teams. And it is very, very, very hot in Europe. It is probably very cold in Australia. And it's probably very normal temperature where Usurper is. Um, so uh, different levels of bothered probably from our, from our host this week. Um, Noel... We were just talking about uh, his amazing mullet. We found out that he has an alternate, uh, alternate alias as a pro golfer. Yusuf <laughs> is very convinced on this fact. <laughs> Might be some relationship there, that Cameron Smith. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying he's not. They look exactly alike. I'm just saying there's some there's some similarities. Man, I'm going with like nothing. Just, just say that people need to look into it. You know, just <laughs> have you have a little you bit ever of background seen in the same room. Have you ever seen them yeah. in the same room, same time? Yeah. For folks on the live stream, we have some, we have some video going on here of of someone who looks somewhat similar to King Notes. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that that picture that picture I'm not seeing it. To be fair, but, but uh, some of these other ones, yeah, I agree. That one's not great. I mean, there are some others. I really I'm, just need to grow out that ginger mullet. That mullet is really American. Is that an Australian thing? Because that's that's like that's like USA right there, right? Yeah, it's like Cletus McFarlane, eat your heart out, drag car shit. <laughs> he looks like that. <laughs> he looks like that uh, Tiger King lad, doesn't he? He does. <laughs> that kind of kind of little strange mullety thing at the back there. Um, okay, so I've I've been gone for two weeks. What what have I missed, lads? I mean, this is obviously purely for show because I have actually watched the episodes, so I didn't do know what was talked about. But what have I missed? Well, you've missed. Drama, I guess. <laughs> well, I asked on Twitter what drama I've missed, and it was like some paid shill. Some some people got paid to do marketing. Yeah, so they that didn't disclose be... that they were doing marketing, and that was that was not, drama. not on Game of Notes. I can tell you that. <laughs> so <laughs> nobody in this channel is making money off marketing. I don't think. Yeah, man. Like we need shills, though. We need like a team of shills because. I agree. Uh, you know, we're not very good at marketing or production <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> really, really selling. You know, when it comes for us, to, it's time to sell out. We can use this as our prospectus and say, like, well, we're not good at marketing. We're not good at self-promotion. We're tolerably good at social media. And that's why you should partner with us at Game of Nodes um, for whatever your I don't know. What, what do people partner on? Making money, Simply I guess. Safe. That's another thing we can do Simply better safe. at. Your security solution. <laughs> Looking for... I <laughs> use Simply Safe in the toilet. <laughs> That's VPNs, isn't it? It's always VPNs. Like, it's always VPNs. Sponsored by Blur VPN. Sponsored by Grizzly Bear VPN. Is that actually a VPN? That sounds like it could actually be a VPN. It is, yeah. Grizzly, we can, Grizzly we Bear We can turn VPN. it into one. Yeah. Sponsored by VPN. Oh, it <laughs> You did miss out on good conversation. We had a great conversation with uh, with Ghost and with Thyborg on some governance type of thing. We've been talking about governance a lot because it's it's so fun. Um, but we that was two weeks ago, and then, and then last week, obviously, um, we had the great Highlander and and um, and 
Simon, which I'm not going to try to pronounce the actual name. That was a great conversation as well, but just about what's going on within within the new Highlander nodes, I guess, and uh, just what we're, you know, what they're trying to build and those types of things. We talked again a little bit more about governance and those types of areas, but those were good episodes. I nearly doxed Highlander there just there because I just because obviously they they live in the UK. So um, I've met them and, and I was just like, oh yeah, of course, you know, that was a good conversation with uh and then, uh, um, but yeah, no, the the one was very good as well. I thought that was really really interesting Tom? episode. But Barry? <clears throat> what? Yep. Tom? What's huh? his name? <laughs> what? What address? <laughs> was, huh? What's his social, like... secu- social security number? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> social? Hang on. Yeah, if we just uh, if you come on the the show, we kind of reserve the right to just dox you into the dark dimension whenever we see fit, as soon as we learn what your real name is. Um, normally, it's normally it's meow doing that to me. To be fair, but um, I, I realized also that a while ago, actually, no, I'm not going to say that because that docks me further. But um, whatever, I I, re- I found another way yesterday while I was going through some stuff that that I'm doxed, and I was like, is there any is there any way is there any platform on which I'm not doxed at this point? Um, ridiculous. So. Um, we have a couple of follow-ups, I think, um, Usurper, which I, so I've got the spreadsheet up here. We um, do. And so there was, a, there was a lot of talk about Horcrux. Uh, there's always a lot of talk about Horcrux on the show. But obviously, um, I know from speaking to Schultze and Null that we're now, you know, we're now and you're, you're Horcrux in two. So it's, it's now the hottest flavor in the Game of Nodes treehouse. Um, but Horcrux uh, apparently had uh, some role to play in the Evmos double sign that happened the other day, which is probably, is that the biggest drama of the week? I Maybe the last 48 hours. Yeah, that was, that was steak like Mo, right? Um, which I don't really, I don't really know those guys at all. So I, I'm just talking about based on what I know. So I believe that they is a partnership with someone who's very, who seems to be quite good, honestly, from a from an operator perspective that this this happened to them. And again, we'll talk about it a little bit more. And somebody more on the marketing side, which I think is Cryptic Mo. Is that right? I think that's correct. Um, and they were in the utmost set and I think doing somewhat well. Um, and I think there was, I don't know if they're, I'm not sure if that, if there's some incentives there within that validator or, or what's going on. But the end result is, is that they double sign. And I don't, I don't really, this is not a Horcrux blame situation. I think what the story is that came out is that they're, they were signing about 97% of blocks. Um, and honestly, an Evmos is not the end of the world. It's a fast block time. It, it has a decent amount of transactions. There's a lot of failed transactions in the mempool. Um, we run like a 5950 or whatever it is on the AMD side to be able to handle that chain. And, and still, we still miss blocks, honestly. Um, and so it's it's not the end of the world to miss a little bit of blocks in there. And honestly, anything that 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 you're signing, um, you know, at a decent percentage, it's not worth messing with. Um, or just wait until maybe there's a code change, or maybe you know, there's a maybe just a single node and bump the hardware a little bit. Those types of things. Anyway, uh, the idea was that I think they ran, were running a node that they felt was a little bit underpowered, and so instead of bumping that up, they ran a second node that was similar in size and wanted to put Horcrux behind it. The idea would be that I have two nodes in front, I'm not going to miss, which I don't necessarily think is a valid. I don't think that would make a difference, honestly, because that would. I think it's. I think that's an absorb commit issue, right? Like, it's just the node trying to absorb the trend, like 
I don't know. You guys probably know, know better than I do, but I don't, I don't think it's not, it's not really a signing issue in terms of how fast the machine is signing. Like, I think it's more of a, I think it's more of a drive absorb commit type structure anyway. So in the, in the midst of that, I answer my own question. I'm not going to wait for an answer from both of you since you're both on mute. Uh, but in the midst of that structure, they were setting up Horcrux and then they were, had two nodes next to each other. They were changing the nodes and, and, um, changing the ladder address to be able to point that signing at back at the Horcrux, um, you know, be able to be able to basically map from the Horcrux swarm out to those nodes. And in that structure, the, I, I guess the issue was instead of having one SSH session to each one of those box, they had two SSH sections, SSH sessions point to the same box. And when they restarted, the other box was still had the validator key on it. And so Horcrux was signing and the original validator was signing. And so they realized that 15 seconds later, it's already tombstoned and 10% slash for all the delegations and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So I think like part of the major drama on the Twitterverse yesterday was the payback. Um, I think like, you know, there was just they were probably getting, I'm not sure if they were getting a hard time by other validators or their, their delegators or, or what it was, but it seemed like there was a conversation about whether or not their delegators would be paid back from the, the slashing. So I think that was like a big thing with the, the Twitter side of things yesterday as the fallout from that whole situation that you just described. Um, but on the technical side, uh, guys, so what do you guys do when you are uh, transitioning a signer, I, I know what I do to make sure I got a fucking checklist. <laughs> but uh, like, what are you guys' strategy to ensure that you don't double sign? Like, what are you doing? What are you guys doing? What's your you said, uh, do you want to go first? Yeah, I, I mean, my away from Horcrux or anything else with that. My my first rule of thumb is to delete the private validator file. So no, no matter what, that gets regenerated from the node if it's not the validator. It's, there's no issues in missing blocks. Like if you want to miss the blocks for 20 minutes and figure out what the hell's going on, miss blocks for 20 minutes, figure out what the hell's going on. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Um, so th the, the idea is, number one, if you're like I, in the past, um, even away from Horcrux or anything similar to that, used to move validator keys between nodes, right? And, and it's pretty easy. And they're all named the same. You can open them up and cat them, but you're not like, you're like, oh yeah, this is the key. Like you're going to remember across 25 chains what exactly what this key looks like in this hash. Like it's not really easy to understand, right? So that, what I always do is I, I always keep keys local and they're on a Veracrypt container and those types of things. So I always have obviously a number of backup of what I know is, is proper. And then number two is my scripts, what I run, I delete those keys because I, I don't give a shit about them. Because if they get re, if next time it starts, it'll, if it's not there, it'll create a new one. If I'm not signing, I know something's wrong. So if I'm, if I have three or four nodes and I know I'm moving a key, that first thing delete goes into those SSH sessions and it deletes, deletes all those keys. Because um, I know that no matter what, it's going to regenerate. That key is never there. So if if I'm restarting five or six, maybe not five or six, three or four nodes, I know that only one of those has a key on it and the rest of them are blank. Um, and I don't have any checks on that. That's just basically the script I'm running and have some structure around that. But it's one way to ensure that no matter what, when you restart, um, hell, you can even build you can even build it into the freaking service file if you wanted to on, on non-validating nodes to be able to do that. But the idea would be that it doesn't matter, so just delete the key and move on. Um, and and if you're not if you're not using like a you know a TM, TMKMS or like a Horcrux or something like that where you have all that set and everything else going on, 
that's a real issue. And this situation, I think the only thing that they obviously could have done better is there's no reason to not go back and delete those keys off those nodes. Like the, and they might have, he might have done that on the one server if, if he was actually SSH into the same server twice. But I think you would have figured that out because you obviously started the service on the other server that wasn't shelled into. So there's something wrong there, right? Because you would have obviously realized what was going on because the other server should have been stopped. Uh, my guess is that they're just moving too fast, right? And you're worried about missing blocks. And there's like this real weird thing in validators. Like if you miss like 100 blocks, everybody looks at you like, who cares? Like you can, <laughs> you can miss for five hours. It doesn't matter, right? Like just make sure you're not doing this, which is far worse. Yeah, but you don't want to miss the five yeah. hours. All right, so four the, hours. <laughs> the the first thing we do is we disable we t we turn off Cosmovisor, uh, which is what we use on on pretty much everything. We stop the service, um, and then we quite often disable the system file as well, um, because I don't want to accidentally tab up through recent things I've done, and just by sheer luck. That's that's I'm very paranoid. People know this, I think. I don't want to accidentally hit the keyboard twice and let's say the second or third command above is pseudo system control start, uh, Cosmovisor start, right? And then let's imagine I have a moment of madness, I hit enter. Don't want that to happen. So added paranoia, sometimes disable uh, the system mm -hmm. process for it until I'm done. But regardless, stopping it is absolutely the first thing. Second thing, any of the private state files um, get immediately renamed with a dot old on the end of the file name. Um, I just have a script that yep. grab that just push just MV, you know, pseudo MV, both files to dot JSON dot old. So there I can see them if I need to. Um, but the, so the, we're talking also, this is about a, when you have the keys on the box, obviously we use TMKMS, so we don't have that anymore. Um, but yep. this is hypothetically what we do. Um, now, obviously, we're just shuffling sentries, so we just, who cares, really? Um, but those are those are good uh, sense-checking things to do. It's just always, if you're going to mess around with something that could cause you a lot of problems, just rename the JSON file to .old on the end, and you can just instantly see, oh, this is a thing. I might want to keep, keep it around until I'm done with this operation, and then you can delete it at the end. And then at the end of that, only then um, you know, do you restart stuff. Um, when we moved from uh, when we moved from our previous setup, uh, which was a traditional sentry architecture with some additional steps, but we weren't using a remote signer, um, we uh, took an entire day, an entire working day, booked out, no Slack, no Telegram, yeah. nothing to do it, and left all that time so that. Any time there was a thing that took a little bit longer than expected, or something that didn't work first time, or whatever, you know, an SSH session that, that hung or terminated, or so. If you're doing longer or more complicated operations, if you're spinning up cloud infrastructure, which obviously we use a lot of AWS type stuff, so you could, you know, if you're using automation to bring up a box or something like that, sometimes sometimes things go wrong, and then you have to go and fix it in the console or whatever. Same for Hetzner as it is for AWS at the end of the day, because you're still so, some somebody is not plugging in something somewhere. It's all automated. Um, you don't want to be in a position where you're stressed out or you're in a hurry. You want to just be like, it's fine. I've got five hours left in the working day, whatever. Right. And 
uh, and you know, to, you know, like I said, also there was a period of time where we were fully down. I think you could probably look back in the in the record and see us missing blocks when we shifted our Juno mm-hmm. um, node sure. over because I actually made a mistake in the in the ladder configuration, um, and it took an hour to debug it. We missed a whole hour of blocks on Juno and then had to catch up. And do you know what happened? Nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing happened because. The Cosmos SDK is designed um, as you know, we've had Cosmos OGs on here a number of times, um, telling us that you're allowed to miss 13 hours of blocks. There's a reason for that. It's because you've got a, you've got somewhere between let's say 74 and maybe 125 or maybe even more validators um, who are also picking up the slack for you. So yeah, you being down for a short period of time is not as important as you protecting your key matter, um, which yeah. is what, and, and, and then the second thing is obviously like, like Usurper says, you know, um, have your keys backed up somewhere very secure so that in the worst case scenario where you do delete stuff, um, you can be in the situation where the worst thing that happens to you is not that you delete your key, it's that you essentially bring up the service early or whatever that is. So, you know, we actually could do a similar thing to Usurper and just delete our keys entirely because we have a hard drive in a bank vault with our keys on. And in the worst case scenario, we have seven day a week access to that. So Mm -hmm. if we really screwed up bad enough and it was 10 o'clock at night, we'd go to bed, sleep for seven hours, eight hours, like the Cosmos SDK has assumed you will be able to, and then take our laptops to the bank the next day and do it there. Yeah. That's what we'd do. In, that's a, a very convoluted and unlikely scenario, but it's better than the opposite, right? Like, I mean, the, I mean, the point is valid. Where, where that that stress around, around trying to be worried about missing blocks, is really a manufactured one. There, it really should not be there, right? And I saw somebody pointing out. Um, the idea around doing pointing and calling, which is, I think, is a Japanese uh, occupational safety thing, where like conductors of Japanese trains have to, based on things that are coming, they actually point at the sign and be able to read it out out loud and shout it. Um, so, like in in those situations, like your brain kind of gets out of the loop and like has to kind of focus very succinctly on what's going on. Um, somebody pointed to that because in these types of situations, especially this situation too, which is, which I think is probably the most delicate uh, and the most obviously probably. Other than halts and goofy halts, kind of like what happened with Evmos and, and bad information being shared, this transition of being able to change a signing authority is probably the second most common area that you're going to maybe double sign, right? Um, just running a validator is not going to happen. But this type of thing where you might have two signing authorities or I'm moving between A and B or, you know, I have a halt and somebody does an unset reset, you know, unsafe reset. And next thing you know, you're resigning blocks, you already signed, um, things like that. Like those are the areas that that's going to happen. And um, stopping and making sure you're being very clear on what's happening is important um, because it's really easy to, I mean, again, this, like this, this error sounds like it's a couple errors that maybe just two or three that, that backed up on each other that turn into this problem, but it can, it can happen, right? Like, I don't think any of us, I mean, these are good processes that we're going through and Noel's going to tell us his since we've been talking for 20 minutes without him. Um, but the idea is that it can happen even with good operators, right? In the in the heat of the moment of what's something that's going on. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, ab- absolutely is something that can happen. Um, but obviously, you can maximize your chances of it not happening by having your process, right? 
to like you guys both have. I mean, mine's not going to be drastically different to what you guys do. I think like we're we're 100% KMS now, uh, Horcrux now anyway. So all our nodes are disposable. They don't really have any keys on them anymore. But yeah. uh, when we were doing migrations, uh, I actually just delete the users. So I'd start a new node. Um, I would point the um, Horcrux to it. Uh, but before I did that, I'd just stop and disable the uh, other node and keep it around just in case there was something wrong with the new setup. Uh, I'd start up the new one after I'd missed like maybe 10 or 15 blocks just to make sure that it was a good good amount of misses between, um, you know, starting and stopping the nodes. Yep. Uh, so every time I do this, I always have um, like ping.pub or mintscan or both yep. next to me. Um, and as well, I might even wait for like, tender duty to uh, give me an alert that I'm missing blocks <clears throat> and then start up the new node, make sure it's working properly and then stop all the services and delete the, the old um, users because we run a couple of um, networks on each box uh, because they're plenty big boxes. And so, um, yeah, then pretty much nuke that user, uh, start up another new node on there, resync it, add it to the um, Horcrux configuration and restart those and then add more. But the, the keys initially, we just cat them out of the config file, uh, save them onto um, our encrypted area uh, and sync them. So, yeah, we never really, once we um, sort of get the key, we never really use that box again, um, yep. just to be sure, just nuke it. And then pretty much we have a configuration for um, each network that we just clone across the new nodes so it's pretty easy to set up new ones you can get them up in like 10 or so minutes um and now you know pokachu is so bloody organized with all of his state sync and and um snapshots that you can get i can literally get a node up in probably manually completely manually without the uh pokachu magic where you press a button and sit there and get a cup of coffee um probably completely manually typing it out i could probably get a node up for any of my networks in probably 10 to 15 minutes, I guess. Right. Um, from, you know, new user to synced. So it's pretty good these days. Um, that was not the case previously. We Like, go back just a couple of months. You're always looking for peers. You're always having peering problems. You're always having trouble, like, finding something, a snapshot that was close to the head. State sync was dog shit and didn't work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, like, you know, just a couple of months ago, it was hard to, like, raise new nodes quickly. But now it is very, very easy and can be done really quick. So I don't see why not just nuke the old node and start again um, without keys added to it at all. So you know that you don't have any old signing um, material lying around on there. Um, and you can't One thing that actually I'm very interested in at the moment is... Um, uh, having done like quite a bit of research into running um, nodes on a cache, and mm -hmm. obviously put I put pin in that because you can't do private, um, you can't selectively whitelist, so it doesn't work at the moment um, for um, running with DMKMS, which is what we use. Um, but obviously, it's possible to put a reverse proxy on a large box and then install Docker and then 
you know, bish bash bosh. Uh, if you were willing to go to the dark side, you could also just use um, Amazon managed uh, Kubernetes service or indeed um, e- ECS, which um, I have tons of Terraform knocking around for, for previ- from previous jobs, um, to run omnibus images, which are provided by a friend of the show, Tom from Ecostake. Um, so those images really do work very well for syncing an RPC node. And obviously, if your key matter is elsewhere, you can actually just use that then as your um, as your sentry. So that's something I'm quite interested in trying, actually, um, aside from the possibility of move, start to move stuff on a cache. Um, I'm quite interested, actually, to maybe try running a couple of big boxes um, yeah. and uh, essentially proxying to Docker containers, running the chains um, on there, and then pay for one really big SSD to each of those boxes rather than paying for lots and lots of Amazon storage. Um, so I, I think from memory, from talking to Ecostake Tom, um, Tom from Ecostake, Ecostake Tom, I keep switching it around. Um, he his, his strat for his validator nodes is actually several large boxes that are all... Um, running multiple things on on Docker containers using Omnibus, so um, and I think he uses a remote signing setup um, of some description mm-hmm. as well. I'm not sure if it's TMKMS. I think he was talking about moving to either that or Crux. Um, I think he might have a different uh, solution that he's he sort of worked out. So. Okay. So I and I think that the next piece of this was we, we can move on from this topic, but I think after that point, as as Noel pointed out before, so they, they had this happened, and then there was the realization of that's happening, and then there was this like, this is bullshit. Why why did ten percent of our tokens get slashed for just a simple mistake? Which, I, I, not you know I can understand that right. Like it's, this is not malicious. This is something that just occurred, and um, and you know the realization that there's fifty or sixty thousand dollars USD that was wiped away based off of five seconds of of just a mistake. Um, yeah, I mean that's the immutable part of this, right? Um, and that's kind of what happens when you get involved in this type of thing. And then there's some realization to say, oh shit, these are and I lost I lost money for the people that are involved in here, um, and. Um, and and oh shit! Like now, I'm, now can I spin up a new validator? And how am I going to pay these individuals back? And all these, and then we have this other kind of stuff around, you know, just trying to understand the the implications of being a validator. Um, and so I think it's a good, honestly, I, in my eyes, it's a good lesson for both delegators, not just theirs, but overall, and validators to understand that there's real there's real money at play here, right? And and just because ignorance or mis- small mistakes or anything else fit into it there's still ownership like this is still something that happened and you need to take ownership of it regardless of the hey it wasn't malicious or anything else that's it doesn't matter right um and so i think there's some realization of what's going on there and the uh i think it's like now become evident that the slashings on uh Evmos are pretty savage so that's not really this 10 percent is i don't think i've seen that on any other network and even the um the soft slash is like 0.5 percent which is a lot more than what the usual 0.1 is on on most other networks so one of the other validators got slashed the other day for a downtime um and they repaid their uh their stakers they were quite high on the list it cost a lot of money (laughs) to uh, to repay them for that downtime slash so 
I, I mean, think I, that was because they assumed it was like, you know, the script was 0.1 like everything else usually is. And then they, um, they upped it to like 0.5 after that to everyone's like, hey, that wasn't. But, but then this is also part of the so if you try and start bank um validate some banks it's not financial advice blah, blah 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 but if you try and start a bank one of the biggest things you have to do is ensure liquidity um and well there's actually a whole bunch of things to pay what jurisdiction you're you're in but um you you basically have like a multi-year time scale to becoming one where you're only allowed a certain number of users essentially and it, it scales this is in the uk i've got a job offer for one a startup bank once we have a lot of startup banks and things so um you start like year one as a, a bank and you have like five customers or like 20 customers you're allowed to have like a tiny number and then it scales up quite rapidly year on year um but it's all about basically ensuring continuity of service to your delegators essentially and and like obviously validators don't have quite the same model but this is also like we we, we've gone around the houses a few times around you know when do you cash out how do you cash out why do you cash out Mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff and I think like as soon as you start looking at the slashing and business continuity and that sort of thing it's a lot easier to look at those things of as okay well this was a screw up mm-hmm. um, but you know it's okay because we have the money in the bank because we already cashed out according to a business continuity plan that said we should have enough in the bank to cover a soft slash or a hard slash um, as for a hard slash I mean I think the, there's really no Okay, so spicy take here. I think the hard slash should be a big number. Yeah, I, I don't I, think it should be a small one. And, and is, I, it, I, is anyone promising hard slash? Frey, I don't. I don't know yeah, if anybody is right. Promises it because it's so savage. <laughs> I mean, I, and even now, like you have Mo said, you know, two bucks. If this was, I mean, again, depending on launch times and crypto prices and all this kind of stuff, if that was a twenty dollar coin, you're talking. Six seven hundred thousand dollars US, like they're not. You're not coming yeah, back. I think like, if you get, like, I think if you get hard slashed um, in a situation where we're not regulated, I think that is the end of your validator operation on that chain. I would think so. I, I think for us, we would. I, I don't honestly know what we do. If we had the money, maybe we would cover. It. If we had the money, we'd probably cover it because that seems like the right thing to do for a mistake on our part. If or, we didn't have the money, then you know, I think we would just be saying. I'm sorry, and then, and then that's the end of our validator operation on that chain. Possibly the end of our validator operation. Full stop. It's right. it's kind of hard to say, isn't it? Because like like you alluded to earlier, you can have a chain hole where, for complicated reasons, there may in fact be developers originated or a bug a bug or uh, you know whatever. It is possible under certain situations to double stop. Yeah, sure. And in, in that situation, you had. You, not to go back to that situation, but that situation you had even developers giving bad information because they didn't understand the details of, and just because you're, same thing. I'm a validator. I don't know shit about the development chain. There are development chain. There are developers on these chains. They don't know shit about the validating side because they're not the same skill sets, right? And yeah. and they might not understand the details of the blockchain, but they might understand obviously the contracts and other types of things, right? So and there's there's huge no, there's a huge amount of stuff to know. Like I mean. You know, even people, are, and also this is somebody who works on Juno, there are things about, say, the anti handlers or the end blockers that I could easily make a, you know, be like, oh, that's that's probably fine. And then it wouldn't be. And, you know, actually, a really good example would be things that are consensus breaking when you're looking at an upgrade and going, 
which bits were going to be consensus breaking and which ones aren't going to be. Um, I remember relatively recently having a conversation with um, some developers from another chain and they were sort of arguing that something would probably not be consensus breaking. And I was like, well, I think it might be. And whenever I am on the it might be side of the fence, I'm going to call it consensus breaking because the alternative right. is the alternative is bad. And it turned out to be consensus breaking when you maybe would have thought it wouldn't be, but it was. Um, so there is a you know there is a lot to know in Cosmos, and you know it, yeah, like like the the first Evmos halt is a prime example where in that situation the fault doesn't really lie with the validator really if you're given instructions you know possibly or maybe right. it does because maybe you should be maybe you should know enough about the sdk to look at their instructions and go these instructions are wrong but yep. the number of people that we have to spot that straight off the bat you could probably fit in the back of a london bus you know, there's probably 30 people in the world yep i agree it's tough like I, it's just a it's a there's huge risk to it and like this this idea that validating is easy i, I think is just there's a there's a heavy experience part of this and this is a very new industry right i mean i've been in this for 18 months or whatever the heck it is and so it's not like i'm drawing from 30 years of history here or 20 years or 10 years or five right um and even at even at my level i think that i i how do i say this not being an asshole i i feel like even though I'm not the smartest person in this conference call, I do feel that in many of the test nets that I get involved in, I'm in the top 10% of people understand actually what the hell's going on, put it that way. And, um, and that, that is, that's, that's not a bad thing. Like there's, it's, this is a growing industry, but at the same point, there's real things at play here and people don't, I don't think or really understand the, the risks of what's involved in that. Um, and so, both from a delegation perspective as well as a validator operator, like, yeah, you could say I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a VM and it's no big deal and blah blah blah. But there's 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 a lot of shit behind here, right? It's not it's more than just running commands. Yeah. So but actually, just, another another thing, to final thing I I think to say on this is that the other thing that besides everything else that we were talking about about operational stuff, you just hit on it, usurper, is that you run a lot of test nets mm-hmm. and. Uh, now, from my memory, Usurper, because I was talking about this on Twitter, I think we got tagged in a thing saying, oh, you should do more test nets, you should be involved in test nets. It might have even been you that was saying it now. Um, but I remember, you know, uh, Block Pain making the jokes about the Astarte test nets, and we did four of them in three weeks and an insane number of upgrades and stuff. And I think, Usurper, you were in three of those, maybe? Oh, like yeah. Three or, three or four of the Astarte test nets. Like, yeah. And those were, I mean, I, I think we all double signed on one of them because there was a, a problem with one of the anti-hand. There, there was there was some um, code change that we had screwed up and then the upgrade handler balked. And I think all of the, like something like 20 out of 30, uh, to, well, what would have been, it would, there were about 12 validators in the start, it weren't there. So it was something like two thirds of the validator set double signed. <laughs> but the time to do that is in a test net because, you know, that's how you learn how these things happen. Right. Uh, you go like, oh yeah, okay, if the chain holds and there is any kind of uh, modification of state at that point, there is a good chance you're gonna double sign. And that's why like, there is there have been several Juno holds now um, on upgrades, on things that you know have not gone right. And once we had to restart the chain, we got cyber attacked. 
But in those situations, we also had people who had the experience of the Astarte test nets where they had double signed on a test net to go, okay, don't worry, turn off your validator, stop your system, and wait. Right. And then restart it once we're all ready to go. It's things like that. And you know, and you know, to touch wood, it won't we won't have a breakdown that will result in double sign as a result of developer coordination on Juno, but it's not impossible. You know, yeah. But we managed to navigate those problems, I think, because of that experience. Like um, that is back to, and then again, it's back to that calm thing. You know, the point. Well, I think the more the more experience you get in things going wrong, and especially in like testnet environment, like the more confident you become with the fixes to those things going wrong. Right. So over time, you develop like a mental toolkit of how to fix things, and then. You can see like even in testnet environments when something goes wrong in the testnet, the fucking Discord is frantic with people trying to like make the thing work, right? And no one's really sitting back and thinking about how they can make it work without just asking questions and spamming the shit out of everything. So once you like, you know, if you've done a hundred test nets and, you know, three or four hundred upgrades, then you like your toolkit that you've got to handle these situations is broad, right? And then you can you're you're in a situation there where you're not panicked. You know what's gone wrong. You know what to do. You can just sit back, determine what's wrong, look at your logs, figure it out, fix it, sit out while you know. And you know if you're if you're using like local signing um, matter, then the answer might be to just turn your shit off, like the phrase. Right. And just wait for the the network to sign because your chances of double signing might have gone up by you know ninety percent. So um, you know not so much an issue when you're remote signing. But these are all the things that you do in a test net. You know they exist. You know how to handle them, and then you can be you know a far better mainnet validator, particularly in a, in a pinch. So um, you know it's like constant development, right? You're you're not just automatically know all about validating it's it's a it's a war chest of knowledge that you build up over a period of time um and the more exposure you have to it the better your war chest so while you guys and, are talking, when, and when you get stuck you just go ask polkachu right yeah polkachu or or um Schultzy. <laughs> right or or code hands or or um george <laughs> that's right you're like hey man how about this thing? So um, while you guys were talking before, I, I just did like a few random calculations, right? And so on EVMOS, it looks like if you get hard slashed at the current rate of rewards and, you know, the the standard 5% commission, it would take you six months to pay it back. Um, six months of rewards to pay that back. So the, the, the network hasn't even been running that long. I don't think. that That's a really cool calculation. That would actually be something really interesting across chains to publish to say at the reward rate, what is the payback on a hard slash? That's actually a really cool. That's a nice metric. I mean, the numbers itself as a, as a, uh, it's an absolute kind of get lost in translation, right? In this example, it's you know sixty grand of rewards, but but if I'm a small validator, how many how how long am I running operations to be able to do that, or how long should I have how long how how much money should I put away from the past to be able to pay for the 
chance of the future type of idea. That's actually pretty yeah. Cool. So I guess that's an ever increasing number too, and, and it doesn't sure. matter. It doesn't matter if you're like a big validator or a small validator. The payback period would be similar based on the rewards for that amount of. Um, good point. Yep. Good point. Token. So, yep. Because um, I actually just did it on like percentage, and um, yep. I didn't work it out on dollar values. So. Um, that's cool. Yeah, it's a pretty easy calculation too. Like, don't don't rub it in. Just just. <laughs> <laughs> like I did it while, while you were talking. It's not like he's building a bridge or anything. It's an easy, it's an easy it. calculation. It's easy for you. Okay, I My get it. My nephew asked me yesterday what like this multiplication was. And I was like, I don't fucking know, man. I use a calculator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go stick your tables shit on the back of the toilet wall because you're always in there doing a shit. So just do that. Read it all the time. Maybe it'll stick. Otherwise, just use a calculator. It's perfect. <laughs> Um, the, the one last point on that, just on the, stuff. The, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're so, you know, you're so good at math and shit. And we go, yeah, mate. Because math while stuff. shitting or math and shit. Um, <laughs> the um, the one last thing, the, the other follow up we had was just around the validator training and things like that, which which kind of is just on the tail end of what we were just talking about here. It's is I was thinking more about this this week because we had um, there's just a halt on the say testnet on Atlantic One because just of a code issue that happened when the max number of validators went down and, and i guess there's two different modules within tendermint one of them was changed one of them wasn't or something similar to that you guys would probably know better than i do um but the two things one is i think my role in that was trying to calm people down because there was a lot of conversation around like what to do and stop nodes or start nodes and those types of things and the idea that that's good value it's thing is just to wait let the let the node just dial away it doesn't matter let it do its thing. It's fine. Don't take any drastic actions, those types of things. Um, the other area was that in this er- in this instance, that the validator set was pretty inexperienced because it, it was, again, I don't mean to be an asshole on this, but just, just based on the, how they're doing kind of chunks, uh, there were and the validator names that were in there, there was a lot of individuals, which is cool. Like, I, I think it's great. Um, and it's an incentivized test nut, so you have a, a huge amount of participation, but you don't necessarily have folks who are run this before. And so there's a lot of like basic Linux questions and like, how do I tail this out? And like just simple things that as somebody who, I mean, that face that you're giving right now, Frey, is probably the same face that the SAE team was giving, which is, oh shit, I have 75 validators that I need to get going on a specific thing that we're doing a mid, we're doing a halt that we have and we need to do a binary change and what's the right change that we can do to reduce the amount of fuck upery that can happen in the field. Right. Um, and how do I try to not only fix the problem, but also do it in a way that has the least amount of other kind of side effects and things like that. Um, and this idea of like, and that's not the really the right place to do training. Right. And this idea around finding a way to allow people to be a part of these situations that are not on a project's structure and, you know, kind of idea around doing validator training in these types of situations, like your point, like, like, like what was going back on with, um, with Juno, like that was amazing training that might not ever happen again. And the people who are involved in that learned a shitload, but now you have a 1200 other validators that want to get going who don't have that opportunity. Right. Um, and I don't know how we create that. Op- I don't know how we create that situation, but boy, that's valuable. Um, and it'd be cool to be able to create a game. And kind of sounds like say needs to halt a couple more times. Or maybe, get, maybe it's a game in your boot camp. It's a game of notes chain that just constantly fuck us up. And then we, 
We'll just keep introducing bugs that fuck it up for people. <laughs> That's easy. Yeah. I think we could do that, right? We could find a ways to fuck up chains. I know a guy that could that can write some bugs. <laughs> I know a guy. Yeah, like I mean, I think for for um I mean we did like seven Gentexes in like six hours, right? Like we did a it was a shitload, I remember. Um, <laughs> That's a lot of fucking up. It's <laughs> a lot of fucking up. We, yeah, we did one. We did one where it was we were trying to resuscitate a chain. Uh, we were see actually very similar to what ended up happening with the Juno cyber attack. Um, yeah. and it, it was a data point we used with the Juno cyber attack. Um, was we tried to resuscitate a chain by turning off all of its validators, and then essentially, yeah, putting it back together with the same ID. Um, and it choked because there was still uh, there was one validator who was in a different time zone and hadn't checked in, and they were just that they had already pre-committed, I think, and uh, mm-hmm. we all double signed. Um, so then we had to redo GenTXs and bring up the chain from Genesis at well, in my time it was um, I think we we did something like at one o'clock in the morning my we time. Did. Right. It was like we're going to do Gen TXs in twenty minutes time, and they're going right. to run. They're going to run for thirty minutes, and then we're going to bring up the chain twenty five minutes after that. And amazingly, it all came together. That's right. The chain came up, and I went to bed. <laughs> That's right. I, I think we were, I was commenting like, "Why did you wait twenty five minutes? We could have done this in five minutes." Like at this point, like, why did you push this out? Why is the Gen Tex time so far in the future? I got to wait twenty minutes for this. It's ridiculous. <laughs> twenty minutes, man. What the hell, man? I'm going to go to bed. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, well, I didn't participate in any of those because there was like 40 upgrades at 3 a.m. I was like, fuck no. (laughs) Yeah, it was intense. Although it was so late, a lot of that stuff went wrong. European time, it probably would have been actual daytime for you and you would have been been. fine. Yeah, could have. Five or six of you guys that were doing that, Todd's, Todd's just chimed in. Certified yeah, yeah. a hardened validator. <laughs> that should be a badge. I've, I, honestly, I've joked about it a few times uh, about doing an NFT collection for the Astarte validators. I kind of think I should <laughs> because it, it was a very, very, very difficult few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh, dear. Um, but yes. Yeah, so, so do we finish uh, follow-up after 50 minutes? Yeah, well, All right. I mean, to be fair, like the rest of it, it's all sort of follow-up. There are like thousands of test nets at the moment, right? Are we like loving this or are we fucking hating it? <laughs> I'm just not involved in any of them. I can't can't keep up with them at all. There are lots, man. It is crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, I stopped trying to be in all of them, just picking the ones that we think might be good main nets. So... There's just so many. And uh, there's not so many incentivized test nets, though. There's a couple floating around, but but not shitloads. But those those incentivized test nets tend to just get completely flooded with people. They do. And a lot of them don't have a fucking clue what they're doing. But it is a good testing ground and learning ground still. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of good for the other validators, too, to be able to stretch their legs and their minds and... and um, help people with their issues, dig into their knowledge base and uh, try and help other people with their issues is like a good exercise because yeah. you don't, you know, when you've been doing it uh, a while, you don't always have these types of issues yourself. 
um, anymore. And it's Mm -hmm. sometimes good fun and good mental exercise to try and diagnose other people's problems based on a very like vague and uh, unhelpful description of the issue. (laughs) Well, it's kind of back to the thing Meow always says, like it's, it's okay to be a noob because everybody was a noob at some point, but it's not okay to be a noob forever. Right. (laughs) So that's, that's how you kind of arrive at the kindness is you go, well, people, people helped all of us. Um, Like I know I certainly asked Jorge uh, and Meow a bunch of really stupid questions when I think because a Stargate was my first test nap back last February, January, something like that. And I know I asked a bunch of stupid questions. Like I, I really distinctly remember that they had very recently changed their name from Stakebird, which was their original um, name to Stargaze. And the I had the wrong git commit, I think, of the docs. And then I, I was like, these are out of date. And they rechanged it back to the wrong one. And I was like, this is ridiculous. This is obviously the wrong binary name. And then submit a PR. And then I think Jorge was just like, um, why have you done this? It's like, ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was very patient. He was like, I know it's the other way around. It, it was correct. Now you've broken it again. I'm like, ah, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> someone, someone should create a Cosmos ecosystem trivia game because we're getting all these like random things coming up. I think the original data Stargate should be in one of those questions. That's a pretty good one. So there, there is like, um, tell me it exists and tell me it's an NFT and there's already a chain and I'm missing testnet. No, 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 no. Uh, there's, there's, um, what is it? Fucking Sif chain do like, a. Uh, Cosmos type trivia thing. Trivia night. Well, so cool. Dan, Dan B was telling me about it the other day. He was doing it one other night. It's just like an online thing. People hang out and and do like this trivia. Um, and I think it's like you know you click on a window for. I'll I'll take sure. And nodes falling over for a hundred, Dan. <laughs> and then like it's got a question that you have to answer and you get a score and shit. So, I mean there there are some things like that around that would probably be pretty cool to have a look at and participate in with maybe, you know, like fear of getting a shit score. Yep. <laughs> it's all set on chain. Yeah. Yeah. It's all like logged on chain. Your score is two out of a thousand. Fuck. 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 And it, and it gives a, and it's an NFT and it goes up next to your battle later. Too. That's right. <laughs> a direct link on Minscan. hundred percent uptime. Very bad knowledge of minor <laughs> no shit trivia. Don't delegate. <laughs> Do not delegate. <laughs> Send. But there, there are a good number of test nets. I mean, I think uh, obviously we talked about say right now. Defund is getting ready to relaunch on the next test net. Uh, Stride is coming this weekend. You guys have heard of Stride? I think we talked about that a little bit. Which um, one's Stride, I think, is a um, liquidity staking type of competitor to Quicksilver, I believe. Um, I haven't really gotten involved in it too much yet. Uh, who else is Who else is actually getting ready to launch a, a test net coming up? No, uh, we're in Cosmos. Sure. Yeah, of course, in Cosmos. Um, I think Defund's probably the main one. Um, the, mm-hmm. But I, I, I kind of got loose, a little bit involved in the last one, but that that yep. syncing was an absolute nightmare and the box the box i was having to use was really big and i was kind of like 
because it's not incentivized and stuff, it was like, this is actually throwing $1,000 into a hole per month in a bear market um, right. with, with some additional work required. And it's, it's difficult, yeah. isn't it? Because you're like, I, I, I think that's a good team with a good product. But I think so too. Um, yeah. I, 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 you know, it's one of those where it's, it's like, okay, if, if it were a case of putting together a validator rig for it, um, or if there were specific testnet things that I could kind of help with, I, I think I think the problem I have with time restrictions stuff at the moment is that, especially as Needlecast, we're sort of talked to by some teams like, oh yeah, could you get involved with this testnet? Are you interested in getting involved in this testnet? And it's like, well, look, if the testnet is going to have challenges like, can you use our binary to submit a thing? Then no, it's a waste of our time. Sorry. Um, but if you're like, is there something we can help with? Then, if there's something you have in mind, then you know it's almost more of a consultancy thing, I guess, because my background is software consultancy and stuff, and mm -hmm. architecture consultancy, I guess. And I'm kind of just in, in that space now, where I'm like, I don't pretend to know anything, everything by any means, but it, very time limited and. For obvious reasons, Juno is kind of the priority. So it's like I would love to help out other chains, but I, I can't spend all my time running test nets. <laughs> sure, but I assume that even like even an hour with you on the phone on some of these types of things. Again, going back to different issues that have occurred, and not just technical, not just technical, but also running successful test nets, and you know how to bring chains online. Those types of things I think would be valuable for anybody who's calling you, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean and and like. You know, I'm not the only one from Juno who reaches out to other to reach sure. out to other other people when they see something that they can help with. And I know Shubhulsi, for example, is obviously not directly involved with Juno, but is very active at helping up people with test nets, yep. um, drawing on you know Astati and other things that he's done. Um, and you know, there are other people within the Juno organization that actually reach out to other chains and say, "Hey, uh, you might want to consider this, and you might want to consider that." And obviously, the Stargaze folks are also very very good for that because um, there's a lot of information has obviously flown back and forth um, over the last year and a half I guess between those two teams so, since, we're, since we're on the topic Kevin asked what has been everyone's favorite and smoothest test net experience historically I'm going to say Stargaze I would think so too yeah I think that was just the, the every Stargaze test net in the run up to their launch was impeccable even even every upgrade right like like everything just kind of moves. Uh, you know, I think my second would be probably Omniflex. I mean, we've always had really good, Sisla and team have always done a really good job at that. But I think it also uh, shows like those are teams that have just been in and around Cosmos for a very long yeah. time. I mean, Stargaze was being built for what, two years? And then both Shane and Jorge were in the ecosystem before that. So right. they have such a deep knowledge yeah. of the SDK that, that literally, I mean, almost no teams can catch up with that depth of knowledge now at this point. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it is why they can make those things so smooth because they, they've got an extra three years on top of us in terms of their diagnostic experience. The thing that you were talking about, Noel, where you look at a thing with a vague description and you go. Okay. Yeah, Jorge is really good at that. I give yeah. him vague descriptions all the time. I'm like, this is <laughs> do that um but i think like you know another thing another way to look at it is not necessarily like uh you know like what's the best run and and most smoothest experience but you also get to look at like 
completely different scenarios, right? Because things happen in test nets first. Mm -hmm. uh, so everything's first in a test net. So when you're running one second blocks, that's happened in a test net first. When you're starting a network with 800 fucking validators, that happened in a test net first. For example, the early um, OmniFlex test nets were like, I think 800 strong was the first FlixNet, FlixNet 1. Um, and it wasn't a complete fucking disaster, surprisingly. It actually worked. The blocks were enormous, but the thing started. Uh, I think the first time I saw fast blocks was Kuji. Um, mm -hmm. And then shortly after Evmos. Uh, yep, but um, now say. Yeah, man. And mm -hmm. now say, yeah, everyone's getting on that fast block. Everybody's train. getting on that blockchain. We did actually get a question about fast blocks, and I wanted to put it to you guys. Like, do you. Well, because it's it's obviously basically validated tuning and hardware. There's a combination of hardware and uh, it's reducing block timeout. Right, is the primary mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, what what do you guys feel about? Do you have a do you have a feeling on on the on the fast block craze I, that all the I, all the kids I, are doing behind the bike sheds? I think it's it's a trade off, and it really needs to be specific to app chain stuff, right? I don't think it makes sense to try and do it on um, Cosmosm chains because those chains, you know, people are building apps that suit that environment, right? But when you go to like the app chains like um, Kuji, it makes sense because you need uh, a fast block time for that type of order book environment. But, you know, there's long-term implications of that as well. So these databases are going to be fucking enormous. They're going to be six yeah. times bigger than a, a, you know, one second block is going to end up being six times bigger than a six second block over the same period of time. So they already get pretty big and I'm pretty sure no one is going to keep all that history. Like that's a lot of dollars to, um, you, you look at that over a five or 10 year period, right? So the amount of SSD you'd need to keep the, all of that history available to people is enormous and i don't think i think it'll just become a trend of post chains won't keep history there'll be yeah. like a trailing history of like a few months maybe where there's available snapshots for that but then no one in their right fucking mind is going to have like 30 terabytes of bloody um you know nvme to store the history of a one second blockchain after a couple of years it's just probably not feasible so yeah, I think, I think from that perspective, we're going to lose, basically not going to have history for these chains because of that fast block time. Um, but also, um, you know, it's harder on the hardware. The The faster they're going, the more processing, processing cycles you have to do. It's harder on your hard drives. Um, you're going to get that wear a lot quicker on a one-second blockchain than what you do on a six-second um, so they're all they're all factors that I don't think anyone thinks about. I think and if you pay for networking, so yeah. our yeah. Uh, our second biggest cost after our hardware, um, and we run pretty big EC2 instances, is that we have to pay. Uh, to be fair, it's a very nominal amount for for um, network um, usage, but it is actually our second biggest cost. So if um, block times halved on Juno, we would double our monthly cost. Um, and the question is, what does the end user see for that? Um, and 
uh, and, and that's that's coming from the perspective of people launching a protocol that, that could use shorter block times. So I'm kind of in two minds about it. Like if we end up with a successful launch of how, you know, three second block time is more desirable than six second. But then this is also the question of read versus write. Um, it's okay to have kind of slightly slower writes because we're doing a cryptographic operation. Um, I think um, it's the read performance that really concerns me the most. I think the majority of the time. Um, I think it's fair. Uh, there's there's pros and cons, and just kind of wildly just saying, hey, we want to reduce it to, for the sake of user experience. There's some there's some trade offs with that, right? And maybe the the important part is that that doesn't come for free, right? Like so, Shane. We're just I was just watching um, Shane on Stargaze because somebody. Um, he asked a question because he saw what we were talking about before with stake like Mo uh, had their issue with the double sign. And Shane asked that, that have Mo switched to two second block times. Like, they, yes, they've been to two second block times for a few weeks. And Shane just said, hey, it might ten, he said Tendermint was, Tendermint was designed for this range. It would be interesting to, to experiment with faster block times on testnet within Stargaze. Um, and I, I get that. Like, I mean, because the, the, the ultimate piece is that you want a better user experience. And if that if that finality comes faster, right? Especially for something like a mint or this or that, or the upset things, that things happen instantly. You don't realize it's a blockchain. It's just just a great user experience, right? Um, but difficult to work backwards from that. And it's difficult to be able to have 150 validators with that, I think. I think validator size also has a big impact on that, right? Um, and then the hardware increases and all these other types of things come with it. So they, I'm not sure where that balance will work over time, but it's not free. So you just touched on something else you said there, which um, has come up as a question, which is about, um, so there was a, this this was in the couple of days that I was off, this is definitely something that completely passed me by, was that there was a text prop anonymously submitted on Stargaze for increasing validator size, uh, validator right. set size, which passed. Um, and so that's now coming up. Um, on Stargaze, and there's also a similar, um, there is a Commonwealth prop on Juno mm -hmm. um, for the for the same thing. So uh, this kind of seems like it ties kind of in a little bit to what you were talking about just then. Yeah, and Stargaze, actually, that text prop just got changed to a real parameter change prop just today. So there's an open prop right now on Stargaze to go to 120? 120. That looks like so far that it's passing but we'll see kind of what happens um but that's that yeah i think and again i i, I mean there's a different piece of this which is <clears throat> does the actual validator set increasing actually do anything for decentralization which i think we've all kind of hammered the drum a little bit in the past and says it really doesn't <laughs> it really doesn't um in the grand scheme of things but but again that but you also want to allow i mean it's not a bad thing you want to allow allow new validators and you want to be able to lower the barrier of entry to be able to get in for independent validators like myself to be able to get into different chains right um at the same point there's church trade-offs to that as well yeah well i mean like we were all for an example like we were all late to the party right so um the atom or cosmos blockchain was well established when we came along and for a lot of um us guys i haven't tried but um, for a lot of the other guys that run in our circle, um, they would never have had the opportunity to try to get into um, Adam if uh, if you know the the set wasn't expanding. Um, so yeah, 
I've got I've got mixed arguments right. all over the thing, um, and it's hard to land on. You know, what's the right answer? You, there is no right answer. There is, you know, what you come to a consensus as a group of people is the right answer. And there's pros and cons to everything, and I suppose you just have to weigh them up. Um, so at the moment, I'm sort of in the in the um, you know in on the side of the fence to not uh, be expanding sets at this time, mainly mm-hmm. because they're not really economically viable down the bottom. So um, unless maybe Evmos might be, but most of the other chains, uh, if you're in the like below the bottom 50 or 75 like you're running at a loss and it does nothing for centralization that i've seen i've seen these expansions many many times and the the power still all sits at the top people don't redelegate it's not gonna fix decentralization at all but it does give an entry point to to new validators right and that also comes with its pros and its cons so if you're a wasm chain like Juno, um, which I was trying to argue on Twitter probably unsuccessfully the other day, has really low load at the moment. It is basically, you know, minting a lot of empty blocks in like one to 10 um, transaction blocks, right? Which it's capable of much more. But as load increases on the network, you know, it starts to um, impact the nodes that aren't fully equipped to handle that load. And it's also worth saying as as well with that, that when a big contract comes along, gets uploaded, gets instantiated, whatever, you know, this is why we're all running 64 gig and more on on these on these nodes, is because actually Juno is and Cosmosm is very, very heavyweight mm-hmm. when it has to do the serious operations that make the party happen. And like you were saying, now if that usage goes up substantially, then that is going to pose a problem um, depending well, on the size of the set and the hardware used, right? But it's an unknown at the moment. You don't know how many people are running good hardware. You don't know how many people are running shit hardware. Um, you know, it's, it's fair to say that the people, uh, well, some people do, some people don't. It's, and it's it, you, it won't be evident until the load starts to increase on the network. And then you know, as people realize they need to increase their resources, right, you're going to end up with this situation where it is just way too cost prohibitive for people a certain way down the, the line. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're going to end up with a set that doesn't have all the, all the slots filled. People are just going to drop out. And then right. people who have delegated those people, there'll be people who, there'll be permanent delegations that get stuck outside of the set because they've, jailed themselves or unbonded because they can't afford to run the hardware and then you've got all this delegation sitting on those because a lot of people just delegate and forget and never come back or when they do come back they collect and go oh fuck i've been in jail for a month and not had any reward so you know we haven't really reached that point on any network yet where um you know we're experiencing like high cost of hardware to run with um you know smaller return Mm -hmm. uh, because you know most workloads on most networks at the moment are pretty light because of the the volume of transactions i don't think any there's not really any networks out there at the moment that are fully utilized or even nearly fully utilized or 10 percent utilized and you know a lot of the load obviously is just from people restaking it's just normal transactions which are like virtually nothing so 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So the question is, though, in that situation, like if the the changes will be at SDK level to improve performance, right? And then at that point, you're in more of a position where usage has gone up, improvements have been made to speed, and then it's kind of more natural to go, well, we have this extra performance, we have this extra need for hardware, and additionally, we can now expand the set for... But it's, but it's also back to, there is a little element of other than bringing new validators into the set, what the purpose of going up from arbitrary number to arbitrary number is. Yeah, agree. Yeah, like the floor is always going to get expensive and mm-hmm. there's always going to be like the push to expand it again. And where do you stop? Like, do you want a 500 validator set just to keep it cheap for the people coming in at the bottom? Like that's the advantage of being there at the start. You get to be on the network. You get to build, um, you know, community around your nodes. And yeah, I just, I don't see the point of ever expanding the set to be inclusive um, as good for, you know, the network performance and the, and the network as a whole. Like if there's a good reason for it, other than that, I would love to hear it. Um, but uh, at the moment, it just seems like we just keep expanding these sets just to keep it cheap for people to come on. Uh, doesn't yeah, it's kind it. of like dealing with FOMO, isn't it? And it's like sometimes sometimes you miss a thing and that's fine. Go find the next thing because the next thing can be just like like you pointed out, Nell, we were all late to Cosmos in terms of the very early change that launched, like Cosmos, Regen, um, you know, Akash. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah. We all joined Stargaze and Juno and these other projects that have come along and we found a way of making that work for our operations. And those opportunities are out there. You know, when I, when we first got involved in Cosmos, I think all of us got involved before the last bull run. So again, it was looking at the position of going, you know, certainly I remember doing the sums of, oh, well, if the price on Stargaze is particularly good, we can probably afford an AWS rig rather than running on Hetzner, which will help my blood pressure, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it, it's also about expectations. I think if we just come out of this big bull cycle and there's a lot of interest in doing this from either people who are new to it or people who have got a background in it, whatever, it doesn't really matter. But there's there's a there is that kind of that is that kind of FOMO thing maybe that entitlement thing that kind of rubs me up a little bit the wrong way because I think there's a, we're in such a big tent and it's like we're sat around this table we're drinking a couple of beers and it's like dude there's literally a table there with free beer on it and nobody is touching it nobody is touching it because nobody has yet sat at that table you don't need me to share a stool with you there is an entire table and. I can even, I would be glad to walk with you over to that table and show you how to pick up a beer. Um, well, we're I, just, I don't know. we were just talking about how many test nets there are right at this moment. And these are all promising networks that are coming out. Like and some are incentivized. Yeah. Some are incentivized yeah. to get you like starting bag. And that's, I mean, that was the advantage of, um, you know, the Stargaze uh, test nets, right? We were there from, well, I wasn't there from the very beginning, but, you know, some of us were there from the beginning and then that gave us an opportunity through helping them develop the network to be able to get rewarded and build a bag for the, for the launch and have a good, you know, long-term perspective on that network. So um, same for, for many networks, you know, you get there, you work with them while they're developing it and then 
they give they reward you for that and then that's how you get your way into that um, network and secure your your place in the vowel set um but just like you know i don't know people it seems like people just don't want to think about other consequences and only just want it to create an entry point at a cheaper price um it's not just like i'm not talking about it's not just new validators like it's you know, th- this sometimes comes as well from the people who are, you know, managing like the the foundations or the people who are managing it. They want to be able to create that cheap entry point for people as well. So, right. well, they want to create know. opportunity, right? Or at least the the idea that there's opportunity there. This my this is the other issue with, with me, which is this goes this is the right conversation. It goes directly in the face of like the interchain security thing from from the Cosmos Hub, which is. Hey, new chains don't need to set up validator sets. Let's just use what's in Atom. And they can use that from a governance perspective. And this is the validator set, which I think, I don't know. But I'm not in the Atom space, so maybe I'm biased within that. But my idea is that why are those the selected ones? Like, there are new chains. There are new validators. And Kevin just pointed out, Kevin Garrison said, new validators bring new development, new viewpoints, and new innovation. It's exactly right. So why am I? Why are we tied to the same 125 or 50 validators that have been there since the beginning just because? Is that the is that the limit of the of the innovation? Is that the limit of the new ideas? Um, is that the governance viewpoint that we want on all chains that choose to use that validator set? And I think that's wrong. Like I think that chains will chains will grow and chains will die, um, including including the atom. Like there's nothing that says that that's going to be the center of the universe forever. Um, and so as as that naturally grows, why why why? why would new chains be tied to that same structure? Um, and I think that just goes against the whole I- idea of um, of what we're trying to build. So that's why I'm, I've been always kind of negative around that idea is because it just seems like it's, you know, it, we're kind of limiting ourselves to say this is the structure that we want to be able to work with or the viewpoints that have already been set. I think layered security there is the kind of answer to that. Like there is, there is, some, there is a good idea in there somewhere. And there actually... Is. Moreover than layered security, I suppose there's a future world in which it becomes even more arbitrary and you can actually bring in additional validators from outside either of the sets that you're layering into it, which is an interesting theoretical idea for expanding a validator set. Mm -hmm. But I guess we're always going to run into the problem. There fundamentally is a difference between um, SDK only, if you like, um, networks and Cosmosm networks, or even you know EVM networks, where there is an additional substrate on top that has additional performance implications, that has additional configuration implications, that has all these these different variables that are going to affect end users and affect the performance of the chain in a way that is outside of the normal functioning of the SDK, and that's what's kind of governed by ICS consensus, really. Um, so yeah, I, there was another question in here. Let me see if I can find it to pick up um, on again on, on kind of validator stuff. Like, should um, should somebody asked on Twitter? I'm sorry, I forgot to write down the name. Should self stake be a factor in formulating the stake a given validator has in a chain, which? Uh, this is all back to kind of the ranking of validators, isn't it? But I thought it just, I was just reminded of it because obviously, if you do an incentivized test net um, as a validator team, you're quite often given um, a delegation to self-stake. Um, 
when the network starts, right? But you, if a validator joining the set later um, might have a much much smaller self stake that they've actually bought themselves. Um, and mm-hmm. to Kevin's to Kevin's point in the chat, that would to me indicate a much higher belief in the network potentially than somebody who arrived early and said. I also have a high belief in this network to give my time and energy to it. But, you know, a year down the line, two years down the line, three years down the line, that looks like a disproportional, they probably have the same level of belief in the network, but it's, it's, it's timing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, none of us are any smarter than anybody else. It's just some people are first, right? Yeah. Like being, being early has its advantages, right? It, oh, definitely. No matter where you are, being early is like a big advantage. Um, you know, when when networks launch, it is a race to try and get in that top area because right. we know whether we like it or not, we know that that's the easy delegation area. Once you're there, people just delegate to you without thought. So that's as much as we hate to think about that um, or admit that, that is like whenever a new network goes live, that's the scramble, right? And that's no lie. Um, yeah, and that's not. And that's every single validator. That's not like you know. People might say they've got good ideals and all this type of crap and talk about decentralization and all that type of shit. But when a network launches, that is the scramble from every single validator on that network is to try and get like a good position to get the, the easier delegation um, as time goes by. Jeremy Irons, the actor, has, if you guys have seen the movie Margin Call, which is about 2008 U.S. housing crisis and, and really the, the fall of um, of loan structures that was created around kind of mortgage bonds is really what the issue was. Jeremy has a great speech in that movie. That movie's awesome. Everybody should, even if you're not in the U.S., it's just a great movie to watch. He says there's three ways to win this business. It's, that it's either to be first, be smarter, or cheat. And he says that we don't cheat, which there's a lot of validators who cheat because you kind of see that we've talked about that here. You could be smarter. There's a lot of validators who are really smart around how they do operations. He's like, it's a it's a hell of a lot easier to be first. And that, I think that 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 rule applies here as well, right? It's it's there's a lot of benefit to be early in sets and and be able to get involved in those test nets and and those types of things. And there's other aspects of that as well. But I mean, those those three things are still pretty pretty damn appropriate for this ecosystem as well as that financial Absolutely. ecosystem. And- and you're providing a service in a test net too, right? You're not just getting oh, free. Sure. Like oh, you're yeah. there. It's sometimes they take a very long time. Sometimes they take a lot of labor, um, yep. but they're providing a service for a return. And your return is um, your initial stake in a lot of cases and your initial position in, in the chain. So yeah, absolutely. Being first has its advantages. And I think it's, in a lot of cases, like the biggest advantage, except, you know, well, we say when when um, validators cheat, but that's in our opinion, they're cheating because of our ideals of what validators should, um, the rules they should adhere to, which is our arbitrary set of rules. There's no hard, hard and fast rule. There's like what we think is socially acceptable. And then, you know, not everyone's going to fucking care. Right. <laughs> Um, but then there's like, you know, some people just have good business models or or well thought out business models to be able to attract that delegation and work that into, um, you know, how they how they run their ecosystem as a whole, which, you know, ask any of us, we might think that's kickbacks, but ask anyone else, they might think that's a valid thing. And that sure. might lead to 
concentration of power, but everything's got its nuances and everything's got its like, you know, pros and cons and, and it's not, you know, it's not necessarily cheating. It's cheating in our opinion. So I I think Jeremy was talking the same way, right? Like I I think that that example wasn't necessarily illegal cheating. It was doing things that they felt that they were immoral, like they felt in their moral structure. And I think, you know, that's why we talk about the stuff as well. Like, but no, no spoilers. But I, from memory, that point in the film is like very, very specifically before they do something that is gray, but they are first on. That's correct. Yeah, they saw all these contracts, and like basically the rest of the market falls, but they are able to survive, right? But again, they're first, so. Yeah. Yep. Um, so Juno.love has uh, has just posted in the chat and just said a question about self stake was about getting to the fact there are a few values in top 10 less than a dozen junior self-staked um i think that's probably well so obviously there are validators that that actually don't have a very a very large amount of self-stake but that's very very uncommon um purely because you'd fall out of the set or um radically change position in the set if your delegator structure changes um, so I think probably what's going on there is just that people are delegated with different wallets, with alternative wallets. I think it's probably the case that any, almost any validator, certainly all of us on this call, um, and most of the validators we know, probably their self-staked percentage is not reflective of actually how much they are self-staked. I, yeah, I don't know. We're going to say the same. I think we're going to say the same thing, but. The- that that idea that there might be multiple wallets that are owner all well i mean we do the same thing like we try to keep a decent amount on the validator wallet um because they're all ledgers you know i got a stack you know look at this like I, you know we have a stack of ledgers that are sitting around that are associated to those validators there you go bag <laughs> jingly bag bag of ledgers those are in the bank for it's right, so. just like going fuck man why are they down? they're gonna fool you know. that man the, the yeah, ledger- I, I i honestly was a little bit like you just keep the sock by your desk you know? <laughs> yeah, absolute dgen dgen i might have just sitting on a shelf so that's that's one step up from mine i just get lost um but uh, but whatever how are you going to control that but but the other thing is that we have like personal stuff that we stake to that as well i it would be interesting to see the difference between that and there's a difference between that and when those rewards and commissions come back and they're just ibc'd off that that's a little bit different like like we do we do to our 10 percent to this rhino gibson that we're starting as well as you know dude i gotta get it's my news these are my spares <laughs> and our, our rule is that we we 10% off all the commissions and then whatever's left, we stake half back to the validator and then the other half we take as maybe as cash or at least it comes into a core account that we can decide what we want to do with it because we need to run ops. And so that's like 10% to commission, 50%, whatever's left, then 10, 50% to the validator because we're giving back on the chain and 50% back to us. Um, but that's different than I think what, what everyone has seen is that it's just IBC'd. And once it goes in that structure, then you're not really sure what the hell's going on, right? Um, and if that's actually, I'd be seeing out to to be staked back in, which doesn't really make any sense, or what's happening with that. So there's a, I think there's a Rama's on the chat as well because this is one of his areas is to be able to um, try to give more information around what validator operations are doing and and who's being kind of honest in that structure, um, and so. I think I think there's a it's all over the board. I think I don't even know. I love this. How do you know if a validator uses a ledger or is raw dogging their keys? 
God. Um, so, like, I just looked at my <laughs> validator for Juno, right? So, we are like our self-staked, um, you know, on the validator wallet is like two percent, right? Yep. But our total self-stake is probably closer to like ten percent. Um, so, we definitely have uh, token elsewhere, and that's some of it's for tax reasons, some of it's for like you know, security, some of it's for, there's various reasons to have different wallets. But I personally think that, that, you know, like the corporate validators, like, you know, the ones who tend to have very low self-stake with larger wallets elsewhere should make more of an effort to like have a higher self-stake. It's not like they can't afford it. It just doesn't, it's, I think it's more of like a security policy because of the amount of hands on particular keys or something like that. Right. But, um, you know, they're, they're more of a corporate structure, whereas we're more of like, you know, we've got our own ideals. And, and it's, worth, it's, worth just, it's worth just pointing out at this point that, like, you know, in the, independent, in the independent validator teams, the largest ones are usually two, three people. And some of those larger um, operators who are also running on ETH or maybe some of the, you know, like near Solana, some of these really big ticket, big money situations you know they've got like 50 or 100 staff so it you know right. they are the size of technology company that they have a full-time security person on staff who is like you know you can't ssh onto a box without jumping through two bastion hosts and we have a key mm-hmm. policy and you can't just spin up a server if you want to do some testing and all that kind of corporate stuff that you would expect of a company that's you know, got an HR department. Um, so mm-hmm. there is also that. Uh, that's worth pointing out. Um, so some of it is probably less, you know, like Mel says, it's less about this and that. It's more about just what you see of, of, of how the sausage is made because they're much bigger organizations. So um, no, what you're saying is that some validators are more multi-sign and some are more a bunch of ledgers sitting in a sock. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some, some, it works. People, some people like have systems. I have a <laughs> like this. Me too. Got the sock going on. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's got a zip. It's not a sock. It's like a little. <laughs> it's good. And, You'll just tie a trick, knot on the top of it. I trick people by writing uh, memory on there. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, oh, that's not a bag full of ledgers. That's like USB. That, that's literally your security policy. <laughs> Mine, mine is mine is literally like a you know bag for all of the stuff. Mine's misdirection. This misdirection. Is paranoid. This Memory. Is the, as soon as the paranoia gets you, though, and really you. secure toenails. <laughs> bag of coins. Uh, Too funny. Um, how are we going on our list, guys? I think uh, I think we're pretty much uh, squared away. There was just uh, you know, what are we excited about in the upcoming week? And I believe somebody possibly usurper put green candles well it wasn't until i put it in the spreadsheet and i went to shit so it's the last time i write green candles on anything it's gone bad well it today has been bad the last hour has been okay today has been dropping but the week has been pretty good um we're starting to see a little bit of turnaround and at least some not so much for e-money and evmos but everything else that at least i'm tracking within the cosmos is is has some good uplift um, so is this the pump we've been looking for? Is this like the turn? Is this the bottom? Or is this just another little bullshit pump before it keeps going down? It's 
It's about a fifty percent at the moment, right? It's a fifty percent. When you look at ETH, it's a, it's about fifty percent ETH. Yeah, ETH at fifteen hundred bucks US, and Bitcoin's finally above twenty grand. It's at twenty three thousand something. Um, so I mean, it, I'm, I'm guessing as it goes up, it's going to do like its usual humps, right? And hopefully, those dips don't drop down to where it was. But I think in all these situations, I've been surprised on just how far some of these things will drop. Um, I'm, I'm glad I don't try to chart. I don't want that kind of stress. I have it above my head. I, I need to get rid of this. Like it's it's miserable. Just literally looking at it all day. It's a it's a bad. Like yeah, when I look, really we see not. me looking up on this podcast. When I look up like this, I'm looking at prices. That's not good. That's not. That's not. It's not healthy. When you, when you look up, I can just see like a yeah, little like fuck emoji tear. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because yep. I see the world in emojis now. <sighs> I was talking to my girlfriend the other day on my phone, and it was on a platform that didn't support like the uh, the the semicolon, uh, you know, shortcut. Oh format. yeah, like a Discord. Yeah, yeah, and I just kept typing all these things in between semicolons, and she's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And I'm like, "They're emojis." She's like, "You're just putting words between semicolons." And I'm like, "Yeah, man, fuck, fuck." It's like, like any- why, do you, "Why do you type emojis?" It's, like, it's, fucking it's what I do. Or, or any messaging app that doesn't support marked a simplified markdown, and you right. do the thing to make it. To make it italic or something, it's, and it just, just underscores, and then people are like, "Why did you do that?" Rama's just called me out for having a girlfriend. Oh, girlfriend, big relationship ever. Show sure. <laughs> ever. I mean, just name dropping it's, girlfriend. It's pretty, it's pretty lame drop. of you to have a life now. So you know there is that. I try to avoid it religiously by living in my dungeon. <laughs> 